Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. During the Christmas holidays, this sister and brother team went to see their grandparents for the holidays. And while they were there, he was up in age, so his um, grandparents gave him a slingshot to play with outside in the woods. They, they lived on a farm. So little Johnny was outside playing with the slingshot, trying to zero it in, acting like David. But he couldn't hit any of the cans, couldn't hit any of the targets. It was getting close to dinner time. So he was headed back to the house. On his way back to the house, he saw his, his mother's duck. He said, hey, at impulse, he just revved it back, let it go, and hit his grandmother's favorite animal, her pet duck, square knives, and killed it. In shock and panic, he picked up the duck, hit it on the wood pile, and only to notice his sister watching. He went back to the house for dinner. His sister, di- sister didn't say a word. The next day, as they were finishing lunch, his grandmother said, hey, I need Sally to help me wash the dishes. Sally said, Grandma, Johnny said, He'll help with the dishes. So she whispered to Johnny, remember the duck. So Johnny had to help his grandmother with the dishes. Later that afternoon, his grandfather wanted to take them fishing. And, but grandmother said, hey, I need Sally to stay behind and help with supper. And Sally said, no, no problem, Grandma. Johnny told me he wanted to help, with you, help you with the supper. So again, she whispered to Johnny, remember the duck. So this went on for several days, and then Johnny finally got sick and tired of doing his chores and his sisters, and he finally confessed to his grandmother, Grandmother, I, I want to apologize. I accidentally killed your duck. And she knelt down, gave him a hug, and said, I know, son. I was in the window. I saw the whole thing. But because I love you, I forgave you. I was just wondering how long you would let Sally hold it over your head. In our scripture text this morning, we are going to deal with someone similar to Johnny. Actually, several stories you can gain from this story of Johnny and Sally and remembering the duck. One, of course, is the grandmother actually seeing Johnny kill the duck and then at the same time forgiving him without him even asking her for forgiveness. Another one is Sally, of course, who is the villain in the story, who is holding this sin over her brother's head and not allowing him to graduate from it and to move on from it, which ties into a lot of things. But in um, this morning's subject and sermon, we're going to look at follow the signs. And Jesus, of course, left plenty of signs for us to follow. And I know for me, when I am faced with a challenge in life or faced with difficulties, and you may have saw this on the initials around someone saying, hey, what would Jesus do? So I referenced that that quote, what would Jesus do? And of course, as we all know, Jesus didn't live in an era era where they had internet and all these technology stuff, but he still left us with something um, called the Holy Spirit to help us deal with those things. So with signs, what is the purpose of signs? Signs point to something. They get us somewhere. As you were coming in today, especially for those who are with us for the first time, you followed the signs or you followed Shelly as you passed the signs directing you here. 
But if you had to come in here on your own for the first time, you would have to look for the signs in order to get, get here. And as you were coming this way, if you were to stop at the sign saying worship service is that way, and you stopped there, you wouldn't be where you were destined to go. You, were, you wouldn't be at your destination. A few of us traveled during the holidays, and a lot of us traveled places that we've been to before, but we followed the signs. We followed the stop signs, the yield sign, and so on and so forth, because if you don't, you could hurt yourself or someone else. So we all have to follow signs. But in the process of following signs, Jesus did something extraordinary in his first part of today's text. And the first thing he did is the Great Commission. Now, when I'm saying Great Commission, I'm not talking about the commission that Jesus talked about in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where he says that, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about that Great Commission. I'm talking about this one that is overlooked in John 20, beginning at verse 19. In this Great Commission, for those of us that are serving in the military, you either serve as an enlisted soldier, you serve as an officer. As you serve in, as an enlisted, you have an oath of, enlist, of enlistment. For officers, you have the oath of office, and it goes similar to this. At the first part of it, you raise your right hand, and you repeat. After the person who's leading it, you say, I, and they say, state your name. So I would say, I, Troy say, Singleton, do solemnly swear or firm to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. After that, the two oaths separate. The enlisted, the oath for enlisted soldiers they have to obey the orders of the president and officers over them, and they, are, they fall under what we call UCMJ, Uniform Court of Military Justice, which is our judicial system of forest punishment. For the officers, they're not given any orders to follow. They have to stand on the Constitution and defend the Constitution. So in the essence of what Jesus is doing, and for a Christian and as us as believers and as the disciples in today's story, their constitution is, the, is God and the Bible. So what we're going to see here is really a commissioning ceremony with the guest speaker being none other than Jesus himself. So we get the opportunity to eavesdrop on this ceremony. If you've never been to a commission ceremony for an officer, and after that ceremony, they get to take off some other material and be able to render their first salute to someone and hand them this coin. But look at this commissioning ceremony that Jesus is going to commit. And picking up in 19, because this is a continuation from last week, and it just stopped. It's the same day as Pastor Jeff preached on last week. But John is saying, when it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, peace be with you wanted them to don't freak out because he just walked through a wall. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, again, peace to you. The second peace starts the ceremony, and it comes with some responsibility. How we know? Because of what it said afterwards. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, if you look in your Bibles, you see this part in red. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. 
them, if they retain the sins of any, they are retained. So, of course, you're wondering, people may wonder, how can Jesus walk through a wall after the doors are closed and locked? Because he's Jesus, and he can do that. He could change the molecules in his body to be able to walk through a wall. And this is what he did. And he says, immediately he says, peace. Because how would we all feel if the doors, these doors were closed and someone walked into the room with the doors locked? They were, we would really be startled. We would really be a little shaken up with it. So he says this, peace unto you. And then he follows up. He shows them his, his hands and he shows them his sides to let them know, hey, I, I am Jesus. Come back from the dead. I know I told you all this several times before in the past, but today is the day that you actually get a chance to see me in totality as a group. So he gets to the process where he starts this commissioning ceremony. And he, Jesus told them this in Matthew, correction, not Matthew, but John 14, 15, and 16, when he said, when I go, I will send the Spirit, and I, and I will come back in the form of the Holy Spirit. So he told them this. So they had heads up. In the same way, if, if Fort Benning was doing a commissioning ceremony, they would have announcements letting you know when the commissioning ceremony would be. So Jesus told them these things, and Wade was going to, he didn't tell them what was going to happen, that he was going to walk through a, uh, a wall with the doors closed, but he told them that this was going to happen. So we have to go back to Genesis 2 and 7 to see what Jesus does in these verses. And in that part of it, God breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. But now we see the second Adam breathing life into them and receiving the Holy Spirit. Now the disciples had to be sanctified with the Holy Spirit in order to do the things that God wanted them to do. And without that, uh, they wouldn't be able to lean on God. They wouldn't be able to do the things that, that Jesus was able to do if they didn't have the Holy Spirit. So in the same way that they have the Holy Spirit, at that point, we have the Holy Spirit now and have the capabilities of doing that. And you also may have noticed from this text that Jesus and God didn't breathe on a building. They didn't breathe on a temple. They didn't breathe on a sanctuary. He breathed on human beings. Too many times we get caught up in buildings and structures and look what I've done and look what I have built. But God and Jesus are more concerned with us as individuals being the body of Christ more so than having a building to say, look what we have done and glorifying that building. So he didn't do those things. And then we get down to the last part where Jesus said, if you forgive sins, they are forgiven. If you retain sins, they are retained. Now, that's a, a head scratcher and also one of the misconceptions, misinterpretation of Scripture that a lot of churches and people believe that, that they can assign. Some churches, only certain people can forgive sins. But it contradicts what happened, what Daniel says in Daniel 9 and 9, where he says, compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord. Or Mark 2 and 7, where Mark says, who can forgive sins but God alone? So how can Jesus tell the disciples in this verse that if you forgive sins, they are forgiven. If you retain sins, they are retained. And the way that you can do that is you follow the breadcrumbs and you Listening to what Jesus is saying and how he set the example, you have to go to Acts 10, 42, 43, and Acts 13, 38, and 39. Go to the Metro Legion. I'm not going to read them out per se, but what Peter is saying in 10, 
42 through 43, and and Paul is saying in Acts 13, 38, and 39, he's saying, if someone says to you, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you in turn can say to them, your sins are forgiven. That's what 10, 38, and 39 is saying. I'm correction, 42 and 43 is saying. And then, but if they're saying, I reject Jesus, you could say, well, you, are, you will remain in your sins, and your sins are retained. So what both these verses are saying is, if you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, your sins are forgiven. That's what gives them ability to do that. Another example of that, if you own your job, your boss is left for the day. For me, if I was in the, when I was in the military, my superior officer in my, or my NCO was gone for the day. My non-commissioned officer was, my superiors were, were gone for the day, and they left me in charge. So I'm giving orders to my peers and my subordinates. These are my, my, not my orders. I'm not operating under my authority. I'm operating under the authority of my superiors. And I'm giving them instructions, hey, we need to do this, that, and the other. And most of the time for me, I wasn't the highest ranking person, but I was left with the responsibility to give these orders. And these weren't my orders. They were orders of my superiors. And I would tell them, hey, do this. And sometimes they would say, who are you to tell us what to do? You, you're not the commander. You're not the first sergeant. I'm like, hey, they left me in charge. If you got a problem with it, you're more than welcome to tell them when they come back. But until then, this is what we're doing. In the same way that you are held with those responsibilities on your job to execute the orders of your superiors, your boss, when they're not, act, uh, they're not, they're not there, is what Jesus is saying in this verse. Plus the fact that they have the Holy Spirit. And what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? I will come in the form of the Holy Spirit. So although they are saying those things, your sins are forgiven, your sins are retained, they're operating with the Holy Spirit within them, which means they have a reference of Jesus within them. So they're not operating and functioning under their own authorities, which is all important. And we have to be able to, to do these things in order to operate in the love of God and what he would have for us to do. And moving forward, with that being said, we come to a point where we have to move from unbelief to unbeliever to a believer. And you may ask, well, how can I be a, a follower of Jesus Christ and operate in unbelief? You can have different challenges in, you face on your job, in the military, so on and so forth, that, that are stressful. And it creates doubt. If you're doing a new position, you're going to have some kind of nerves about that. You're going to have some level of unbelief. And if you were to look up unbelief or doubt in the dictionary, you would see Thomas. And this is what Thomas does. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord with excitement. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hand, put my finger into the mark of the nail and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. And that song they sing, I believe you said it is so. Anyway, the week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put, your, put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. 
Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Because, correction, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Many have tried to figure out Thomas as to why he would be an unbeliever in this example because of what I said in about John 14, 15, and 16, that Jesus said he was going to go, he was going to come back, he was going to grant them the Holy Spirit. And Thomas was there when Jesus performed most of these miracles. Thomas was possibly there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, the widow's son, and he was definitely there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. But because of Thomas's action, Thomas will always be remembered as doubting Thomas from that moment on. But People, like so many of us, fail to realize what you did prior to and what you did since you said those things. But here are some things that, that Thomas um, did that we might have forgotten about. Thomas um, was the one that encouraged Jesus to go to Bethany in Acts, in correction, John 11, by saying, hey, let us go also and die with him. He was the one that encouraged, asked Jesus about where the father was in chapter 14. Thomas wanted to know how to get with the father. Thomas was inquisitive. He was courageous. He was faithful. But all we can remember about Thomas is his doubt and who God really was. And I dare anyone here or screaming online to, to raise their hand and say, I've never had a slip of the tongue. And I never said anything that that someone is holding over my head. Most of the people don't care what Thomas did after that or before. All they care about is that Thomas doubted who God was. Some people are holding stuff over your head right now. You've graduated from the sins of your past because of the blood of, of King Jesus, but there's a small population of people who refuse to let you celebrate your present and future. When I go back home to South Carolina, I have a, a friend and from high school, this is my wife's friend, most so than it's my friend. And she would always call me Little Troy. To her, I'm still that 12-year-old boy in fifth grade that used to, used to make, go hang out with them on the playground during recess. And no matter how many times I go back, no matter how many times she see me, if she was to meet you, and she would say, yeah, this is Little Troy. She said, I know he's, small. he's grown, but to me, he will always be Little Troy. She, she said, I, I know you're you a preacher and you do stuff, but to me, you always Little Troy. She, no matter how old I get, she's always going to call me Little Troy. And some of you are that, that same way to some, in somebody's eyes, that when they see you, they always remember that one thing you said, that one thing you did, that they're never going to let you pass. They're never going to let you graduate from what you said or what you did and move on from that. And, but Jesus didn't do that with Thomas. He gave him a little rebuke, and then he said, blessed are those who haven't seen but still believe, like us. But we can get past those things. So some people will always remind you and others what you used to be, what you used to do. But I find that I don't get upset with her when she said, because I know who I am in Christ, so what you call me doesn't really matter. You have no heaven or hell to put me in. So how you want to remember me is how you're going to remember me. There's nothing I can say or do that's going to change your thought process on that matter. And some of you are dealing with the same thing, and a lot of people get upset, and I'm like, like, why? Like, what power do they have over you? They, have, they can only say those words. 
People can call you anything. It's what you answer to. It's important. So being called something, people call people stuff all the time. But to me, what do you answer to? Do you answer to those things? Or do you answer to who you really are? And if you answer to who you really are, you don't get upset when people call you out your name or they misjudge you. You're able to move on. Like to the disciples, nowhere in the Bible did they call Thomas Doubting Thomas. Thomas is their brother. He's their disciple. He's their friend. When Jesus forgave Thomas in that, exam, in that, in that event, they moved on from it right along with Jesus. And the thing with Jesus, he, don't, he, don't, he forgets it. He casts it away. His disciples could have bring that up years later, but nowhere is it recorded that his disciples, his buddies, his friends brought up what he, what he said about Jesus. They moved on from it. And thirdly, um, signs that lead this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, there is no text in the whole Bible which was intended to create doubt. Doubt is the seed self-sown or sown by the devil. And it usually springs up with more sufficient abundance without our care. So what Charles Spurgeon is saying is doubt comes from two sources. It comes from you or it comes from the enemy. And you create that doubt. And I'm not saying you're not going to get those, but you have to squash it right there. Don't feed it. Don't let it fester. You move on from it. And if the devil is saying it, he's saying something that don't line up with God's will anyway, so you can be able to recognize what he's saying. The third point is signs that lead the way. Signs that lead the way. And look at how John closed this gospel. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In life, you're going to do things for people to show that you are who you are, or you're going to show, do things for people that God has uh, blessed you to do. And at different times, they're going to want to see something in addition to what you've shown them. In Jesus' case, at this point, it was nothing else left for him to show. I mean, if you can raise other people from the dead, heal people with sickness, with no cure, and then you can die yourself, get beaten the way he was, be put on a cross, die the most gruesome death, and then get up three days later. You still have the wounds in your hand, but you're able to walk through walls, do different things. Like, what else left for him to do? What other signs do we need as a people that he is who he is, that he is the risen Savior, that he is God, that we should believe in and have faith in? But we have people that have doubt. So Jesus left us spiritual breadcrumbs. I say spiritual breadcrumbs because a lot of people in the world don't see these things in action. They, you can smile in the midst of a storm and you're going through hard times and people can wonder, why are you, how are you still in a good mood? Because God is going to provide. God is going to make a way. How you know? Because he's done it before you in the past. So you're standing on those breadcrumbs and those breadcrumbs are hope in a future that we will make it to heaven. Nothing else needs to be said. Jesus left us enough evidence for these disciples. He left thousands, if not tens of thousands of witnesses to all the miracles that he's done in his calm demeanor. This is not just a book about signs, but about Jesus in real life. 
The signs are helpful to reveal Jesus as the Messiah. But this faith is not a leap in the dark, but a rational step based on founded evidence. We have evidence of who Jesus was, who he is, and what he will continue to be by just having faith. And it comes back to the, the big idea of follow the signs. We're still here, so we still love to follow signs. We're here, still left to follow the signs with each other. We're still here to do the things that, that God would have for us to do based on what he's done before us in the past. At different junctions in your life and you get different struggles and you different trials and you get beat down with life, at that point, just look back and you look where God has brought you from and it will give you faith to move forward. There were many, many challenges in my military career, road marches and runs and different training events that were tough. And Jeff has way more than I do. <laughs> Matter of fact, he's coming off of one now that he can lean back on what he's accomplished in the past that gives him strength to, to keep moving forward. And you just keep following um, these signs that God has, has placed before you and that he is working out in your lives. And those signs help push you forward. And the good thing about seeing a sign is that it lets you know that you go in the right direction. You headed the right direction. If you headed for a cliff and you saying the things in cliff, 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 you turn, you go in a different direction. Those signs let you know, hey, I'm on the right path. I'm doing God's will. Yes, this is tough, but I'm going to keep pushing forward and do what he would have me to do if I just keep following the signs. These, these signs are an assurance of what he's done and they are going to show me how to get to the finish line. In our next step, they're quite simple. I need the Holy Spirit to help me follow the signs that lead to salvation. And us on our own strength, we, we are nothing. But with Christ, we can do all things. Why? Because he says so. And that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and gives us that strength and that courage to be able to persevere and, and move forward. Secondly, I believe Jesus has power on earth as well as in heaven. So we trust in, in believing that, knowing that Jesus did what he did here on earth in order to get back to heaven, that he's there waiting for us. And in, in the meantime, he's our advocate. He's the one that's speaking on our behalf. He's the one that's encouraging us through the Holy Spirit to push forward in Christ. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.